Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. All right, it is uh, Joey, Addie, and myself here for Cut for Time. Um, so we'll ask Addie for input along the way. We'll see what she has yes, to say. Yes, special guest. We're excited to hear what you have to say. Um, so why don't you give us a recap from your Sunday sermon? And then if you wouldn't mind, um, you kind of laid out the big picture is for this um, three-part study that we're kind of lingering on in the temptation in the desert. Mm-hmm. Can you just give us that overarching view again? Yeah, sure. Uh, so this last Sunday, we we tackled, there's Addie, we tackled the first um, of the three temptations in the desert. So Jesus, after his baptism, he was led out by the spirit into the desert to be tried by God, tempted by the devil. And uh, we're, we're slowing down to take each one because we're in the, the whole Lenten context of you know, the beginning of Matthew up to the Sermon on the Mount of who is Jesus. He is the fulfillment of what has been promised. Uh, in the Old Testament of the Messiah, the anointed one who's going to come and and rescue Israel and rescue the world from our sin. Um, So in looking at this first temptation, uh, we we primarily focus, uh, well, we focus on the temptation itself, but also everything kind of leading into it and and the context that was being set by Matthew and the way he's telling the story. And he's trying to get across this fact that this isn't just about, hey, Jesus is God, so he can resist temptation. It's that Jesus is a new Israel. He's a new Moses. He's a new David. He's a new Adam. He is what every person God has chosen before him was supposed to be, but that but was never fulfilled. And so the whole point of this temptation narrative is to show that where everyone else failed, Jesus succeeded. Israel was led into the wilderness. Jesus was led into the wilderness. Israel was led, was tempted, tried in the wilderness. Jesus is tried in the wilderness. Israel failed in the wilderness. Jesus succeeds in the wilderness. And so um, as the new Israel and the new Adam, he is the first of the new humanity. And that that hu- new humanity is what he invites us into when we, by faith, become in Jesus, in Christ. Okay. You did a really good job. Is this distracting at all? <laughs> the fact that Addie is putting toys on your head and making them fall off while I'm talking. No, this is that's fine. It's when she starts waving at me and and making cute smiley faces. That's that's what's distracting. Okay. Um, there she is. Be quiet just long enough for me to ask the next question. Okay. I appreciate that you took the time to talk about all the Old Testament references and go through that. Mm-hmm. Would um, early Christians or new Christians or even Jews to hear this um, gospel or this writing from Matthew, would they have needed help building that context? Or they, would they, that have been like crystal clear mm-hmm. to them? It depends on which early Christian group you're talking about. Like early Jewish Christians definitely got it. And, and Matthew specifically is writing to a Jewish audience to convince a Jewish audience that Jesus is Israel's king, that he's mm-hmm. Israel's Messiah. Luke is writing to a Gentile audience. Um, and so when he presents Jesus, he makes sure to add extra detail and stuff to try to 
to get across like, Hey, well, not just by translating words, like, you know, they call Jesus Rabboni, which means teacher, right? He translates it into, into the Greek mm -hmm. they would understand, mm -hmm. but he also gives a, he, he depends less on a, on having a Jewish background or Jewish understanding in order to, to get what he's talking about. So early discipleship efforts in the church, as it went out into non-Jewish areas, Gentile areas, was not just about inviting Gentiles into Jesus, but inviting them into Jesus as Israel's Messiah. And so there was some sort of background education that needed to happen. You know, as we went through Galatians the last couple of months, um, at one point in the sermon series, I remember making a comment that like when Paul writes, you know, Paul's a Jewish scholar. So when he writes about Jesus to a Gentile audience, you can almost picture them going, okay, we need a Bible study on Genesis and the Psalms and Isaiah and Ezekiel in order to understand everything Paul's and Daniel and, you know, everything Paul's yeah. talking about here. So a lot of early, uh, early Gentile discipleship was about placing, helping Gentiles understand their place in the Jewish narrative and helping Jews understand their place in the worldwide narrative mm -hmm. uh, that Jesus had, had started. So uh, we yeah. have almost completely lost that Jewish context uh, and understanding or the understanding the Jewish background of Jesus. So for us, we have to mm -hmm. really make sure to slow down and listen. Okay. How would a first century Jew have heard this? Okay. Um, yeah. So I've, um, you know, read the, this um, passage in scripture plenty of times and never understood those references. So I really appreciated that you did that. I've read it as, a story or as a narrative, right? Without that yeah. context. Um, or just as I would almost like read a children's book. Yeah. Something else that you could clarify for me is what Jesus is saying when he says, um, man does not live on bread alone because obviously we need physical sustenance. So, um, and, um, you know, protein is good too. So right, right. <laughs> what is he talking about? Can you clarify that for me? <laughs> well, that's a great question because you said like you're sort of used to reading it almost like a children's book. And if you read it like a children's book, you're looking for a moral to the story. And so the moral of the story is, you know, it's either like, hey, Jesus resisted the devil by quoting scripture. And that's true. Yeah. And that's good. Yeah. Like that's a model for us. Um but it's also like, oh, and he quoted scripture. He quoted, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Um, so that must mean that when you put physical sustenance and spiritual sustenance, you know, when you look at those two needs, spiritual sustenance is more important. So you need to read your Bible before you eat breakfast, right? That's the, so next time, you know, tomorrow morning when Hazel and Addie wake up, uh, I want you to sit them down at the kitchen table and say, before you eat, you have to listen to a story from the Bible. And I can almost guarantee that they're not going to want, the, they're going to start to resent the story <laughs> from the Bible time. before she even gets out of bed. <laughs> exactly. Right. So there's very little caloric benefit to Bible study. Yes. Right. That's not the point. So when Jesus says man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So there's a whole bunch of things happening there. And we have to understand how he's using that reference from the old Testament first He's taking a quote within a broader context. You always have to remember the broader context because in the Jewish way of reading scripture, it, they don't have chapter and verse. It's not about pulling a single verse out and talking, you know, what does that mean? It's all, every quote is in a context and it's informed by the context. And it assumes when you're quoting it in the New Testament, it's assuming the broader context. So 
where does that quote show up? It shows up in Moses' sermon in Deuteronomy 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. It's in Deuteronomy 8. What else is happening there? He's saying in that sermon to, a, to the Israelites after 40 years of wandering in the desert, he's saying to them, you were brought to the wilderness so that God could teach you that you cannot provide for yourself and you need to trust his promise for you. So they didn't trust the promise. Remember, he told them, you're going to take the promised land. That's why we call it the promised land. You're going to go into the land of Canaan. They were two years in the desert before they uh, scoped it out and said, nope, we don't believe the promise. Let's go back to slavery. Slavery, at least we know what we're looking at. You know, uh, We know what slavery is, but we don't know what the promise of God is. So we can't go that direction. So he spends. they spend the next 40 years, 38 years, whatever it is, um, wandering in the desert and, and Part of that is the food thing. Now, the manna thing has already been happening for a couple of years, and they're complaining about it and all that. But that's mm -hmm. all wrapped up into this thing saying, look, you don't live on just bread. You don't live on just food. There are, there are things that are more important and of a higher importance than the food. That's not, not saying food is not important at all. Obviously, you, you know, your body requires a certain number of calories a day in order to maintain health right? And a balance of protein and carbs and whatever. It's not about just eating carbs, about eating bread. It's saying, okay, you have physical needs. Those are important, but your truly important needs are the spiritual needs to trust my promise. When I give you a promise, God says, and to trust in the case of the man in the wilderness that I care so much about you that I will provide for your physical needs. Because right? if, if Jesus is looking back at the Old Testament and saying, oh, man shall not live by bread alone, um, but by every, mouth, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, it's like, well, there you go. There's the principle. And so when he's teaching you know, the feeding of the 5,000, when he's teaching and the crowd says, we're hungry, then why doesn't he say, guys, man does not live by bread alone, right? What I'm teaching you is more important than dinner. So pay attention to this lesson. You can get food some other time. You'll be fine. Right. He doesn't yeah. do that because that's not the point. The point isn't choose spiritual over physical. The point is when your physical needs are met, or even if they're not met, you still have to address the spiritual need and the spiritual hunger. Yeah. So um, there, there's one, I, I didn't have time to quote this or develop it, but there's a German philosopher named Josef Piper, and he talks about in, in one of his books that um, people groups don't develop culture in the sense of arts and philosophy and sport until they have first met those basic physical needs. And so there's another way of, of looking at it or understanding it that when those basic physical needs are met, then at that point, you open up the realm of possibility of addressing actual spiritual needs or existential needs. You, you, you know, it's easier to do philosophy if your stomach is full. And it's easier to, to listen to somebody talk to you about your need for a savior if you're not starving, yeah. right? And so meet the physical need because you don't live on just bread. You, you need bread, you need food, but you don't live on just food. Once you've met that need, then there are spiritual needs you need to address um, because that's where spiritual life comes in. So again, it's not about like read your Bible before you eat. Uh, that's a very moralistic application of the passage uh, and of the quote. It's about uh, our spiritual need is answered by trust in the promise of God and trusting not just in the spiritual promises, but also that he cares enough for us that he'll meet the physical uh, needs as well. What if my spiritual hunger or my, what if my spiritual need is not as obvious to me as my physical needs? So I know when mm -hmm. I'm hungry. 
And mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of cues that tell me I'm hungry, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm getting irritated or my tummy grumbles or whatever. Um, it's just that time of day. But mm-hmm. what if um, I'm not as aware of my spiritual need and that same hunger is not there? Um, what should I do? Mm. So the hunger is there in all of us for sure. Um, but we meet it in physical ways or in other ways, not realizing it's a spiritual hunger. So uh, there's a couple of things you could look at. One a question you could ask yourself is like, hey, what are what are some good things that I just seem to have a desire for that's just way out of whack or, or just feels like, yeah, that's kind of an overpowering desire, right? Um, it, it could be things that we sort of uh, traditionally think of as negative, like I just seem to need to control everything or I, I need everyone to understand me. I won't stop talking until people understand me or until I feel like I've defended myself. Um, those are the things where we're like, yeah, that's kind of annoying, you know, so uh, we don't look too nicely on those. But there are other like more acceptable ones. It's like, well, I, you know, I just I had such a bad week. Um, I'm not going to be okay until I go shopping, buy some new clothes, right? Retail therapy. Um, for me, it's books. You know what? I know I, I am emotionally and spiritually stressed when I keep thinking every time I come to work or leave work, oh, I should stop by the bookstore. That's, a, that's like a cue for me to go, oh, what's, what's really going on? Or it may, it may be, you know, at the end of the day, the only thing you want to do is narcotize is like just narc out whether it's netflix um or it's uh, a super hard workout or it's um something you know less beneficial like um alcohol or sex or whatever you're like i just need to not feel i need to numb out for a while like that's a cue spiritual hunger when you when you want to numb out that's a cue that actually you're hungry for something you're not getting and so yeah. you're going to try to distract yourself from the hunger yeah. So those are our hunger ever, cues. Those are hunger cues. If you find yourself sure. distracting yourself from reality um, or trying to um, super work hard to control reality, like those are both cues. Like there's a spiritual hunger that's not being met and you're trying to get it in some way that you can control. Yeah. So I'll be honest though, if I do realize it as a spiritual issue, sometimes numbing out just still seems easier. So oh, totally. Always. where do I begin? Like I just, start talking with the Lord or open up my Bible. And then, you know, I don't know. It seems it's one thing to recognize it. It's another thing to actually do something different because is stopping by the bookstore really that harmful? Depends on if I've already man, you know, hit my budget or not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, so I'll use that example um, for myself. Yeah. So the first thing is like, just to recognize it to recognize, hey, this is, there's a spiritual hunger here. I don't know how to, tr- how to address the spiritual hunger, but I recognize that this is me clamoring for something that the thing I'm about to participate in will not ultimately satisfy, will not actually take care of. You know, when you end a four hour Netflix binge, um, do you ever feel like you accomplished something? No. no, you usually feel crummy. Yeah, you usually feel crummy and you, you didn't, you know, you didn't address the need. You just, Um, ignored it for a couple of hours. So me and the bookstore, right? So first step is recognizing that pull towards the books means something else is going on. It it Uh means, because I've realized for me, the actual purchasing of books is not about 
hey, this is, you know, it's good for me to learn things. I should, you know, purchase a couple because I already have plenty I haven't read. It's about this sense of like, I'm more of a person. I am more competent. I am more knowledgeable, more capable of understanding everything because I possess this resource, this mm -hmm. thing. And so it's the, the actual buying of that thing that, that feeds this hunger in my soul to be uber competent or completely knowledgeable. Yeah. And so like realizing that's actually why I buy books uh, or listen to podcasts or whatever is a way for, it's a cue for me to stop and say, okay, Lord, I will never know everything. Um, I will never be fully competent. I cannot control what other people think of me. And I can't, um, I can't in myself um, be what everyone needs me to be. Only you can. And so I have to remind myself that, hey, I'm like trying to get something that I'm never going to completely satisfy. Mm -hmm. And I need to come to terms with that. This is a hunger that um, it's actually my hunger to have all knowledge is to be seen to have all knowledge, which means I'm looking for some approbation from others around me that I can only fully find in God. And so it has to turn into a prayer of confession of, I just have to confess that this desire to get knowledge is a desire to be seen, but you're the one who sees me. And when you see me, you see me as you don't see my lack of understanding as a deficiency. Uh, you see it as me being human and how you created me and uh, my desire to be known and seen and loved um, is a good desire and it's well met in, in friends and family and, and all of that, but it is only fully met. It's only fully met in, in God. So I'll pray all that while I'm buying books. Yeah. <laughs> good. Thank you, Joey. I appreciate you telling us what that looks like for you and um, how we can apply it to our own lives. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. And I recognize how incredibly nerdy that is. So um, if you have any judgment, just email it to podcast at faithliveitout.org and uh, I will take it to heart. It. Claire will oh. screen it for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, we made it through the podcast. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Well, I was just hoping that my, you know, the, the dulcet sweet sound of my voice would put Addie to sleep, but I guess she's not wearing the headphones, so she can't hear me. It would if she could hear you for sure. Yeah. 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 I, know I have that effect there. on people. I'm real soporific. Um, no, nothing to add except I'm really looking forward to the next two in this series. Um, so I'm preaching this Sunday and then Pastor Nathan is up the Sunday after that. And there's just fascinating depths in the temptations, uh, this temptation narrative and depths that we will get to plumb and some that we won't even have time. Like, mm. um, so I'll just throw in this nugget for everybody at home. Um, I think that the, the Lord's prayer, the our father, yeah. I think it started in the desert. Uh, I think that's where Jesus formulated and thought through and encapsulated what prayer is, is, is yeah. in his desert experience. Cause everything in that directly, um, comes from, seems to come from and flow out of his, his desert experience. That so a Joey suppose, Wiesman observation or is that's that a Joey a observation? I, okay. Yeah, no, I've, I've not heard anybody else say that. And okay. they'd say, um, it's a bit of a daunting idea. Yeah. Th there you go. I said, it's a bit of a daunting observation because if it means that our, our most profound 
uh, and meaningful prayer will come from desert experiences. Yeah. I'm not sure I really want to sign up for that, but yeah. um, that's the way of the cross. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.